your co-hosts, Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. Uh, we have a number of people we're going to be talking with today, and we have a lot of uh, activities that's coming up, including I want to give a shout-out of condolence to the Tyrone Bowles family. Uh, his service will be Saturday at 11 o'clock a.m. at New Directions Missionary Baptist Church, and that is on Homer Street in Georgetown, and uh, Matthew J. Thornton uh, is the pastor. Uh, so the Homer Street is located at 755 Homer Avenue, and like I said, that's in Georgetown. My condolences to Carmel, who I work with, and the sister was a civil rights advocate with me, protests and construction and everything else, and uh i never seen Tyrone Bowles unhappy. And you know what? I think it's because he had the Lord. He was, Amen. He was always happy, always <laughs> had something good to say. But our first first guest is uh, the Distinguished Executive Director of the Commission on African American Affairs for Washington State, Ed Prince. And there was a big event, Ed, I had to include. I had to apologize. Uh, it was sponsored by the Ethnic Commission's Commission on African American Affairs, uh, the Asian Pacific American uh, uh, Affairs Office, and I had to add on the Facebook post, I want to apologize for not having on the emails that went out, the Hispanic uh, Commission as well. So, Ed, why don't you, first of all, bring us up to date on the priorities of the Commission on African American Affairs. And I hope ec- economic justice is part Thank of your you. platform. Hey, we're saying, yes, it yes. should be. So why don't you give our listeners an update on what's going on? Good afternoon, Eddie and Hayward. How are you guys? Uh, absolutely, economic justice, um, economic justice, economic security, um, are at the top of our priorities for the commission, along with uh, criminal justice, reentry, um, health equity, uh, education, um, and the issues of youth and families are uh, top priorities of the commission. Now, you mentioned the event last night, um, and we worked really hard. My colleagues and I worked really hard to put that event on to make sure that we had um, agencies there, make sure that the agencies were open to talk about the uh, opportunities that they had um, available for minority contractors. Um, and from all the reports that I've received, it was a good event. Okay, now who are the, why don't you share with our listeners who the other ethnic commission executive directors are? I know who the Asian Pacific American, <laughs> but I want you to share with our listeners who they are. So the director of the Commission on Asia-Pacific uh, American Affairs is Toshiko Hasegawa. Hey, um, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> um, and I believe Toshiko is close to uh, celebrating her one-year anniversary as director of the Commission. I believe it's sometime this month. Um, and the executive director of the Commission on Hispanic Affairs is Maria Seguenza, okay. um, who I believe uh, served her one-year anniversary back in August. So, um, them so you, you're the senior uh, director of the Ethnic Commission I, then, right? I am the old dude, yeah. Okay, go I, ahead, OG. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so them along with uh, Craig Bill from the Governor's Office on Indian Affairs, um, we all try to work together on stuff that impacts our community. Well, you know, uh, one of the things I do want to give you uh, acknowledgement for, and that is uh, your support of uh, the Central Ray Public Preservation Community uh, Development Authority, uh, which will be the McKinney name for Reverend Dr. Samuel Berry McKinney, McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development. Uh, Your support was very instrumental in helping get the legislation passed by Representative Sharon Tompico Santos. You know, it was unanimous both in the House and the Senate. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, our next step is to try to get the capital budget, right. uh, get in the governor's budget, the capital budget, so we can get that building up to par. Now, we can have, like I was talking to Pastor Ricky Willis, uh, we could almost move uh, the pre-apprenticeship program in there now. They only occupy the bottom floor. But uh, uh, it was uh, a lot of people were led to believe that the building needs to be torn down. Uh, Lynn French from Global Consultants had architect Samuel Cameron and others go through, and that's not the case at all. It was just given a bad name so people could get out of the building. And uh, so Hayward has been working uh, with these folks, and he could probably act, let, let him in the conversation as well. So why don't you try to share with us, Hayward, uh, what uh, the extinguished executive director of the Commission on African American Affairs can do to assist us in delivering these services to our community. Well, right now, Eddie, you pointed it out. Number one is to be in that capital budget, making sure that the uh, governor is supporting us. That's a huge, huge deal right now. And also just making sure the city council, county council, everybody's lined up for the programs that are going to take place there. Because, again, this is about economic development. Everybody knows the impact of I-200, and I know you've been out there pushing I-1000, right? Absolutely. Okay, because you know we got to get this thing through. I told Eddie last night I was so nervous. I'm looking at all those commercials on TV about, what, uh, referendum 976. But I haven't seen any I-1000s. Have you seen any out there? I have not seen any at all. Here's one thing I've seen. Yesterday on the front page of the time, it says, Tim Iman linked a firm to pay more than $1 million for payoff ploys. Now, this man has stole uh, uh, chairs on camera (laughs) and been taking kickbacks, and he's still running around trying to deny us access to opportunities. Uh, Why do you think this is happening, Ed Prince? Well, I I clearly think he's, well, let me say that I'm saying this in my own personal capacity before I get any phone calls. I think he's a crook. (laughs) Um, <laughs> that was good. Your personal capacity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, in my professional crook. capacity, he's a damn crook. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think that he has made a name off of denying opportunities to. I mean, he made his name on I two hundred. Absolutely. You know, I'm surprised. He, I'm surprised uh, Donald Trump didn't bring him back to the head of the Minority Business Program or something. Hey, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, you know, he, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, with all the folks that Trump has in office. Um, but I, that's where he made his name, and he and John Carlson made their name off of denying, oppor- denying us opportunities. And uh, opportunities for contracts, opportunities for higher education, and it's, my issue is I felt like no one was saying anything about him till it started impacting other folks. And he's had a free ride. He's sitting right down at the Fisher Plaza on 4th and Denny, you know, uh, getting paid by KOMO-TV ABC. Uh, that's owned by, uh, what's the name of that company? They, the right-wing Sinclair? company? Sinclair Broadcasting, yeah. They're very right-wing, so he fits right in with them. Ed, before we uh, go why don't you share with our listeners the next meeting, uh, how can they access information about the Commission on African American Affairs, and who are the commissioners on uh, the, uh, African American Affairs? So our next commission meeting is in November. Um, I want to say it is November 14th, but we We'll have you having... on before then. Yeah. <laughs> say that again? I said we'll have you back on the air before that next meeting. I appreciate that. I believe it's November 14th, but we were having an issue 
with one of our commissioners from the Tri-Cities not being able to make it, so I can't remember. We, we've been looking at if we were going to change that date. But I believe it is November 14th. It will be in Renton um, at uh, one of the public libraries. Okay, up and, on the uh, hill by the, by the golf course? Down, it, it will either be a downtown library. Oh, that'd be excellent, or, yeah. Or the Fairwood Library. It'd be one of those two libraries. Okay. You, I know it would be great when you do come back. If you could bring the priorities, the list of priorities that the commission is going to be presenting this year going into 2020. We, I know the, the listenership is very, very interested in that. We will absolutely, when I when we come back, when I come back on, bring mm-hmm. the list of priorities. We are in the process of um, re-looking at what we had as priority last year, redeveloping, and we're talking to legislators, uh, especially now that we've got a black caucus uh, meeting with our African-American legislators to find out what they're promoting and what other things that we think, uh, meeting with Representative Santos and other key partners uh, to see what issues that we can push and also what issues we need to uh, uh, inform the community to... uh, Tell their legislators they don't support. Yeah, because I'm saying, where's the money? I mean, <laughs> that's the bottom line. Where's the money, particularly for that McKinney Center? This is critical that we that we're in that budget. And uh, have you guys? So I'm happy to help with that in any way, um, and I'm happy to meet with you guys and talk about ways that we can work on that. We sure appreciate it. Before you go, Ed, why don't you share with our listeners who are the commissioners that comprise uh, the Commission on African American Affairs? So we have um, our chair is Franklin Donahue um, out of Snohomish County. We have Will Howard and Dorian um, Dorian Waller out of Tacoma. So we them have, at the Black Collective, they presented, they're active, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have um, Dr. James Smith, who I'm sure you both know. And I, I know Jim. Yes, indeed. Dr. Dr. Jim. He's an alpha. Um, we have uh, a new commissioner, uh, is uh, Pastor Walter Kendricks out of Spokane. Um, he's over to Spokane um, Minister uh, Minister uh, Roundtable in Spokane. Um, is active with the NAACP in Spokane. We have Sheila Reed Trahan out of the Tri Cities. Uh, we have uh, Tuckwell City Council member John Quinn. Uh, we have Sarah Franklin. Um, who you all may know is Senator Rosa Franklin's daughter. daughter. Yes, indeed. Um, she's her own, then, she got her own rep, too. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and then Governor uh, Inslee appointed Andrew Capane. Now, I believe those are all the members that comprise of the Okay. Now, now, you know, for, for me, now, what are the commissioners doing? They're all from all over the state. Where are the commissioners in terms of I-1000? What's being done to push it to make sure that we get that legislation passed? Are they pushing it? We, they are pushing it. I've had a number of conversations with commissioners um, who are actively in their communities working on I-1000. Okay. Ed, um, well, uh, I'm sorry. We have to go. we got Congresswoman uh, Pramila Jayapal on the line, well, and she has limited time. You. Well, we'll get back to you before your November 14th meeting mm-hmm. because we want to definitely continue this uh, uh, dialogue about how we can also work and assist you and the commission in, object- pre- in helping our I community. Pre- I appreciate that, Eddie and Hayward, to take care. Okay, thank you very much. Our next guest is Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, who represents the 7th Congressional District in Washington State. And on uh, Facebook, uh, Congresswoman Jayapal, I put uh, you are a member of the House Judiciary Committee. 
that's been real busy. So, <laughs> so that is correct. I know, but I've been, been I've, real busy. I've been seeing you more on CNN and MSNBC, and I've been seeing you on four, five, and seven here locally. And but, loving it. But then again, you know, you are back there representing the people in mm-hmm. Washington D.C. So I would just like to have you. Uh, you know, I've been hearing over and over, and oh, you know, this investigation and that uh, the Congress needs to be taking care of the people's business. Well, about a month ago, I had Congressman Bobby Scott on, and he rattled off about seven or eight bills that his committee had passed. Uh, I think it's education, labor, a workforce. And uh, he said they're all sitting down Mitch, Mitch McConnell's desk. Uh, tell us about that. Well, Is that's the- exactly right, Eddie. And, and uh, I'll say I'm proud to be on Chairman Scott's committee as well. I'm on judiciary, and I'm on ed and labor, and I'm on budget. And we have passed just in the in the eight months since Democrats took over, or nine months since Democrats took over the House, we have passed over 135 major pieces of legislation, and that includes in in Bobby's committee. He probably talked about it, but $15 minimum wage. We passed it. You know, a big start here in Seattle, but we passed it in Congress. Um, we passed a an investing in schools infrastructure bill, really important bill. Um, we have passed, out of other committees, we passed the For the People Act, which gets money out of politics. We passed the DREAM Act. We passed the Equality Act. We passed an Election Security Act. We've passed now three gun reform pieces of legislation, um, including background checks, which 90 percent of people across the country support. And so we have been continuing to do the work, and we will continue to do it. We have in front of us now a major piece of legislation to bring down the price of prescription drugs. This is absolutely critical for everyone across the country, people who are just not taking their their prescription drugs because the big pharma companies have refused to negotiate and have refused to um, get prices down to the level that that where people can actually afford, whether it's, you know, for insulin or um, for their cancer treatment. So we, you know, we have we have passed bills and they have gone to the Senate graveyard where all good things go to die because the self-described grim reaper, Mitch McConnell, has refused to bring any of those up um, for a vote. And, you know, I, I, I'm often hearing uh, even Democrats, unfortunately, you know, take that path. Well, we should be about the people's business. Well, you've been about the people's business. And I certainly wish they would start uh, mentioning that a lot more with what you just mentioned about the number of bills that's been passed, is that Senator Moscow Mitch's uh, doorstep that he refused to look at, including issues like uh, gun reform legislation? Uh, I guess so. A, a bunch of other people got to get killed before they get serious about that again. So I want to go to my co-host, Hayward Evans, and uh, see what he has you to know, say. You know, Congresswoman Paul. first, thank you for being here. And we super, super appreciate all the work that you've done. I love when you're on CNN and MSNBC. Absolutely love it. But but my question is going to go back to the judiciary. When you look at the Ukraine situation in number 45, and then today I'm, I'm watching the news and publicly he's calling on a foreign nation, China, to investigate his presidential rival, Biden. What's up with this? And what's Congress going to do about it? Well, it is really, really a serious situation. We are taking it that way. Um, the, the president um, is engaging in a level of lawlessness like we could not imagine. Um, you know, the Ukraine situation, I think, is the thing that people can understand quickly and easily, but it is a pattern of behavior. However, it is different because this is unfolding in front of us in real time. Um, this president 
is abusing the power of his office. And he is betraying our country, our values, and our Constitution. He has asked a foreign government, and now, as you mentioned, he did it again this morning, asked two foreign governments to interfere in our 2020 election. But in Ukraine, he asked President Zelensky to dig up dirt and conduct an investigation on Trump's political rival in order to interfere in the 2020 election. And by the way, he did it uh, withholding aid that Congress had already appropriated. When you look at the call uh, record, Hayward, what you see is these very important words. But I have a favor, though. And those words are really critical because they show the quid pro quo of the, uh, the information that, uh, that the president wanted, and he was holding up the um, the aid. And it doesn't need to be a formal quid pro quo. Nobody goes around saying, if you do this for me, I will do that for you. Uh, all that needed to happen was for him to declare to a foreign leader like the Ukrainian president mm. and then today on TV that um, that he was looking for those countries to interfere in our election. So it is serious. It is grave. The We are waiting on Judiciary Committee for the other committees to um, finish their work and to send us their summary reports. And then from there, in conjunction with the speaker and the other chairs of the major committees, we will then look at uh, what the next steps are, including articles of impeachment, if that is if that is the direction we're going. Well, you know, one of my concerns is that what if this guy says fake news and doesn't step down once he loses the presidential election? What's going to happen? Well, I don't think we can go there yet. I think what we have to do is we have to do what's right in front of us, and that is to exercise our Article One powers of uh, a formal impeachment inquiry, which we're in, um, and to play that to its conclusion. You know, the road to fascism, and you both know this better than anybody, the road to fascism is littered with moments where people could have spoken up and did not. And we cannot allow that to be the case again today. And really, it is our democracy and our Constitution that is at stake. Nobody wants to do this. This is not what any of us came to Congress to do. No matter what happens, it's going to be a very difficult time for our country, and we're trying to approach it with the seriousness and the thoughtfulness and the care that it requires. But we are not backing off of this because it is too serious. And um, and our constitution is at stake. And the other thing I wanted to talk about is: uh, Will the uh, your committee uh, have access to the I guess the sequestered mm-hmm. conversations that uh, Donald Trump had with uh, uh, the folks from uh, United Arab Immigrants, uh, with from the Saudi the Saudi leader, as well mm-hmm. as uh, 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 Putin. I understand there's some conversations that are under lock and key that's not been revealed to anyone. What authority does the Judiciary Committee have to obtain copies of that information? Well, those, those again, would be under the the authority of the investigation that's happening right now within Foreign Affairs and uh, and Intel, because they are foreign um, country conversations. But what you've raised, Eddie, is exactly the problem. Anybody who thinks that this just stopped with Zelensky, with Ukraine, it has not been listening to what's been happening. We have now heard from, uh, including from the whistleblower complaint that was released, 
that this was there was a protocol for hiding and scrubbing information from call records um, that the president was having with foreign leaders. So, uh, you know, we can be sure that if he was doing this with Ukraine, he was also doing it with others. There were 12 calls with Vladimir Putin, um, as you mentioned. And so we have to get access now to many of those records as well, while at the same time understanding that Ukraine is unfolding right in front of us. And Every time, one, one thing you may have noticed is that all of the work that we did in judiciary over the last six months, interviewing Corey Lewandowski, um, trying to get uh, Attorney General Barr to come before us, um, even issuing contempt subpoenas, these were all critical in uh, essentially the, you know, laying out for the American people how this isn't an isolated incident. This is Every piece of information, every witness that comes to testify is being blocked by the White House, and it is an obstruction. Uh, it, it will be taken, especially now with Ukraine, as obstruction of justice and obstruction of Congress. You might remember, both of you, that during the Nixon impeachment, Article 3 was obstruction of Congress. Mm-hmm. Article 3 was obstruction of Congress. So we, have, we need to be surgical about this. We need to be careful about this. But these are very, very serious violations that the president is conducting in full daylight and bragging about. And when you, you know, I'm looking at, I'm looking at uh, Attorney General Barr. When this guy, he turns around, the president saying that he is his attorney. I thought he represented all of us, the people. And he's supposed well, that's, to. That's, that's exactly right. You, you've hit the nail on the head. Attorney General Barr is not supposed to be the president's personal attorney. That is Rudy Giuliani. And you saw in that call transcript with uh, the call record with with President Zelensky of Ukraine that uh, President Trump uh, brought in the attorney general for the United States, absolutely supposed to be an attorney general for the president, but hasn't uh, or absolutely supposed to be an attorney general for the people, excuse me, but hasn't shown that to date. And then, of course, bringing in the personal attorney. This was all about personal gain, about corruption and about abuse of power and a betrayal of our Constitution. Well, I, I tell you one thing, I'm certainly happy that you're on the committee, Absolutely. and I, I know Bobby Scott, I'm happy that, uh, that uh, you know, you guys are uh, at least getting to the truth, and, uh, and I'm really happy, and I wish you'd encourage your colleagues that when they ask about uh, the, the Congress is not taking care of business, if they could just reiterate all the bills they've passed, and they're sitting at Mitch McConnell's desk uh, at his doorstep, I think that would bode well with a lot of folks because people have this misconception because I guess some people listen, listen to Fox News as well. But yeah. I was really glad to hear that uh, George Conway, Kellyanne Conway's uh, uh, husband, did a, a huge uh, article about uh, the narcissistic president we have and how unfit he was for office. So, uh, yeah. Congresswoman Jayapal, I just want to know if there are any things that you guys are on recess now for, for the next week or so? We, we are. We're in, uh, we're in district for the next week or so. Just wanted to say that we also had a very powerful hearing. You probably followed it in the Judiciary Committee on, uh, on police accountability. We had uh, Eric Garner's mother came and testified. Um, it was incredibly moving, powerful. And I think um, the work that we do on all fronts around, uh, around that issue is going to be critical also had a critical hearing that I chaired on immigration detention and the incarceration of immigrants across the country. 
So we have a lot of work. We're doing it. We can walk and chew gum at the same time, um, but we're certainly not going to take our eyes off of uh, the need to uphold our democracy. So thank you both for everything you, you do, and so glad to uh, be able to represent you in uh, in D.C. Okay, well, before you go, uh, Bishop Reggie, Reggie Witherspoon is on the line now, and Bishop Witherspoon's Mount Calvary Christian Center is right in your district, and he and his wife, First Lady Laura Witherspoon, They'll be celebrating 32 years of ministry on Sunday at 3 p.m., and he's on the line. I just want to make sure that uh, that you were able to say congratulations to him, oh, Congressman. congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. And, and you keep up the good work. We appreciate what you're doing. Thank you, and thank you for your incredible leadership. And please give my congratulations to your wonderful wife as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much, Congressman. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for all your good work. Bye-bye. Okay. As I mentioned in the introduction, Congressmember Jayapal, that uh, Bishop Reggie Witherspoon will be celebrating 32 years of ministry along with the First Lady, Laura Witherspoon. And I want to reveal right now that is Angela T. Rias Home Church, and those are her godparents. So congratulations, my brother. And uh, why don't you you. share with us uh, some of your accomplishments over the past 32 years and I've been shoulder to shoulder with you on a few of them struggles. <laughs> well, well, Eddie, I, I thank you for the opportunity again. We 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 do uh, join and rejoice with you and your lovely wife on raising such an amazing girl, and Angela. We're so proud of what she's doing, representing the 206 and the kingdom of God and just people of color. So I'm just thrilled at that. Uh, 32 years ago, I was just a very young lad and felt felt a calling by God to start a ministry and. Uh, since then, I, I'd like to believe we've done some incredibly wonderful things. I've always uh, and approached ministry with an idea of a great understanding of our African-American heritage. Uh, a lot of it has to do with our slaves. Uh, our, our ancestors had relationship with God, uh, even when it was not lawful to do so. And uh, I tried to approach everything with an understanding of getting African-Americans particularly to understand that you are significant, you're important. You're not an accident. God made you on purpose. When you look in the mirror, like what you see. Those are kind of things that have been a part of my ministry, um, purpose, essence, you know, significance. Uh, we've, done a, we've done a lot revolving around men, our mentoring program at Mount Calvary. We're so pleased about it as well. And done a lot with gangs over the years. It was working with the police department and gangs. Um, traveled the world and the country preaching the gospel, good news, and we also have a strong focus on family, making family strong. I believe that so goes the family, so goes our people, and so goes the church. And so, you know, really concentrating on putting men in their rightful places as, as fathers and husbands and leaders and um, and just seeing the family really thrive. And, you know, we, we're excited that everything that we've done, that I praise God, nobody gave it to me. We just worked hard and uh, paid our mortgages off over 20 years ago. We have not had a mortgage for over 20 years. That's a blessing. Uh, we've ministered over the years to many of the professional athletes. A lot of the Seahawks would get drafted and join our church, and so we've had quite a connection there along with the uh, Seattle Storm. So just been pleased that, man, I do this, uh, Eddie, for the sake of blessing people and touching lives. That's the only thing I want to get out of this is that someone's life is better after uh, I've encountered with them. And I want to say that uh, this uh, anniversary will take place uh, on Sunday, uh, October 6th at 3 p.m. And my good friend, the Reverend Dr. Robert L. Manaway Sr., yeah. uh, will be uh, speaking. And Absolutely. I will definitely be in the audience, uh, sir. 
Cause uh, yes, like I'm I said, you, we've been we've been shoulder to shoulder for a long time. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we're really gonna be needing your leadership on this McKinney Center for Community and Economic right. Development, which was formerly SVI and SOIC. Right. And so uh, we're trying to get into uh, the mayor and the city council's budget, the county executive, the county council, and uh, Hayward. And I'll be meeting with some folks from the right. governor's office uh, next week. Uh, so that's awesome. Uh, we you know I just want to make sure that. Uh, you know, we have your support and also you you uh, know have the, inf- uh, the information to because we we were about building uh, uh, building lives, individuals, right. and yeah, if they have cool. the training that's needed for these small businesses, it's like it might be a a one person business, but if you got a son, a daughter, a wife, they can take the classes to help build that business while the one worker works. And then there's some other uh, things that we have, like uh, Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos passed House Bill 1328 in 2012. It will allow smaller mm-hmm. companies to compete against each other for these contracts. We're talking about thirty to fifty thousand, and then for, for firms doing under two hundred fifty thousand a year, that would help. Yeah. Would have helped our, but no public entity would use it. So that's how wow. we, you know, after twenty years, I two hundred. She comes up with a remedy, and then everybody ignores it. But next week, thank God. Uh, but as a matter of fact, tomorrow I'll be meeting with people at the city about adopting that program. Liz Alzier is the director of. Purchase and Construction Services. I'll be meeting with her tomorrow morning about adopting uh, this. It's a law, a public law. But yeah, sometimes sure. they don't use laws to help us. It's just you like that, I think about uh, the police officer that killed that brother in his house. There are many, many yeah. thousands of black folks in prison who did not commit a violent crime. But they have a lot more time than a lady that killed a guy in his own house. Yeah, I can only say one thing, white privilege. That's all there is to it. White it, privilege, and it is a yeah, lot. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, no if you can get 15 years for having a piece of crack, and you don't hurt nobody, but you get 15 years, if you kill somebody and you get 10 years, you're going to be out in five? That's just unimaginable. So it's hard for yeah. folks to talk about any kind of justice until we really examine the justice itself in the United States of America. Yeah, I agree with you, Eddie. I, let me say this really quickly. This is maybe controversial, but, you know, you, you, my father taught me that whatever you do, be a man of conviction. People may not uh, agree with your conviction, but be, but, uh, but they need to be respected. And I believe, honestly, that, uh, and I don't know, again, how people take this. I don't mean to sound racial in any way, but I believe the white man knows that uh, somewhere in his psyche that his, his reign is coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Now, when that will be, I don't know, but I know that it's coming. And so he's in a place of desperation as we as people of color to stop believing the hype and, and really, really pay attention to all the subconscious negative training we've had over the centuries and come together, man, as a unit. We could get this done. Uh, but the slave master did a really good job of teaching us to divide and conquer. But I see things getting better. And um, we're going to fight with you on this because right is right. And uh, we're gonna, it's time that we be respected as any other human being. I totally agree with you. Before you go, Bishop, I just want to say that I had a lengthy conversation with Congresswoman Maxine Waters uh, on a Friday event during the Congressional Black Caucus at Angela's event. And uh, she brought the president of uh, the bank, Ms. Terry Williams, I think it's One United Bank out of L.A. And I was telling her about the concept that we put out a year ago. Nesby Glasgow, retired Seahawk, he, was, uh, he took it back to the NFL Players Association. But each NFL and NBA team, deposit 10% of their annual revenue in a black bank. 10% of the contracts of each of those teams go to businesses owned by African descendants of United States slaves. 
sure. if we don't have enough, then we can involve other people, women and other minorities. But it's not going to be no, you can choose one or the other. That doesn't work for us. The other yeah. thing is we want a one-third of the pension fund to be deposited in a black bank, <clears throat> which is several billion dollars. Spencer yeah, Haywood wow. is the president of the Retired NBA Players Association. He says it's our money. Nesby Glasgow has the same concept. The other thing that we're looking at is since we can't, uh, you know, still one-tenth of the, of, of the wealth, blacks have one-tenth of the wealth of white families in the state, home ownership down, we need to have a federal designation for African descendants, United States slaves, enslaved in every federal agency to make sure that while they discuss reparations, we have participation. So thank you very oh, much, Bishop. Man, we appreciate yeah. you. I'm with you on it. Thank you for the time. We appreciate it. And please let me know what I can do to help press that call forward. Love you, man. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Bishop. Okay. Okay, Okay, we're going to take a break and come back with our next guest after this. Step up your commute and ride light. Sound Transit's new Capitol Hill and University of Washington Link Light Rail stations are now open. Get around town faster and more reliably than ever. Ride now from the University of Washington to Capitol Hill in just four minutes or continue on to Westlake Station in just eight minutes. Find lots of helpful information on how to ride, how to get an Orca card, and more at ulink2016.org. Link Light Rail. More stations, more places. At the Port of Seattle, diversity is the source of possibility and strength. And we honor our diverse community by expanding opportunities for all people to share in our region's economic prosperity. From the seaport to the airport, we're working to support small businesses including those owned by women and minorities, and to create quality jobs with lifelong career paths. The Port of Seattle continues to be your port of opportunity. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. All right, Eric's playing the earth, wind, and fire. Uh, it will sound good. Anyway, before we go to Tana Yasu, my next guest, I want to let you know that Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by the Port of Seattle's Office of Social Responsibility, Sound Transit Small Business Development and Labor Compliance Office, the City of Sales Purchasing and Construction Services Office, Concourse Concessions, SeaTag Bar Group LLC, and Stephanie Ogle at Solstice Media does our technology. Uh, don't forget Rumba Notes every Thursday night at Rumba Notes. Uh, Nichelle and, and LaTanya will welcome you in, hear some of the best live music, spoken word, and also some good singing. I can't sing, so I can't go. Not tonight. Tana, how you doing? I'm awesome. How you doing, Mr. Rod, today? Right. Okay, Mr. Hayward Evans is in here, too, my co-host. So, hey, Mr. Hayward Evans. Uh, Tana is the secretary of the Seattle. I put Treasurer. King, Treasurer. Treasurer, Treasurer, because uh, Gene is the secretary. Treasurer <laughs> of, of the Seattle King County Martin Luther King Jr. Organizing Coalition. And a meeting is coming up, and we're trying to get people involved early to have a joyous uh, uh, January 20th. 2020 MLK Day celebration. So, Tana, where are we right now in organizing? Yes, Mr. Wright. Uh, we are at, we're working on, we're going to be having our second planning meeting this coming Tuesday uh, in the organizing effort. We are holding them at Langston Hughes, which is on 17th Avenue in Yesler in Seattle. Uh, we have our meeting start at 630 to 8. And we are onboarding people to volunteer. It's an all-volunteer coalition uh, for one of, for the, one of the longest-running birthday 
celebrations for Dr. King in on the West Coast, I believe. You could you could confirm that. Well, yeah. Uh, the, the largest on the whole West Coast and longest lasting. So um, we have several subcommittees that we need. We would love to have people on board, with, such as fundraising, workshops, which is a, a great opportunity, opportunity fair, which is really awesome and had a great impact on the community last year, or this year, I should say. Uh, the programming, logistics, and that's the, the whole marching, and we march to the second location from Garfield and have another rally and just have a really good time. Uh, media and outreach, uh, that would include photography and maybe some video, food, disability, and language accommodations, and our formerly titled Hip Hop Committee, we now call the leaders, young leaders. And that actually, uh, that event happens on the 19th, which is the Sunday prior to the 20th uh, event. And, and that's where the young people, we just give them the platform and let them uh, do what do their rendition and, and and celebrate how with their talents and their efforts. And we just love to come out and support them and, and watch them sing, dance, do spoken word. We had a young man, you know, doing the whole Dr. King speech at, and so it's really an awesome and powerful time. You know, that so, was my, that was my nephew. This is Hayward doing the speech. Amen. Oh yeah. But anyway, but anyway, no, people need to understand. I, I like for them, the listenership to know, you are the chair of that committee. You've been coordinating, and it's been magnificent. Can you give us an idea of what's going to transpire this year? Oh, well, thank you. So, yes, for the past two years, we've had some great events. We actually did the one at Ibex the year before, and then we were at Langston Hughes last year. We'll be at Langston Hughes again this year. And so, like I say, it's, um, it's really about um, supporting the youth and giving them that opportunity and that platform to – because in my opinion, as I, when I took over as chair, it was like back in the day, <laughs> the young people were really, you know, the, they were a big force. You know, they, they stood up and they did that. And it seemed like we have, you know, and as the, the generations have grown older and, and, and so now we need to bring in this fresh blood, right, and give them a chance and give them an opportunity. And sometimes, you know, you see the young people like, okay, sit there and let us do this and this is how we're going to do it but it's like I, I like to see them you know take charge and um you know begin to plant those seeds and foster those fires of enthusiasm to be the next generation of leaders well i like what you're saying because that is about it's about the young leaders but also could you tell us the makeup of the officers everybody needs to understand who these officers are Oh, on the on the committee? Yeah, the, the, the gender. Oh, goodness. Um, it's just as Dr. King wanted. Our, our, basically, all it's all nations. We have African-American, African, you know, national, people from Africa, women, men, all ages, you know, all creeds, Jewish, uh, you know, all, everyone, you know, it's, it's inclusive. Well, I, I guess, guess I'm sort of proud. I was, going to, I was going to the executive committee. It's all women. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, the year of the woman. Yes. Um, so Sade Moore is the chair and co-chairing with her is Kale Shannon, and they're both awesome organizers. Sade also chairs the programming um, over the years, and Kale is definitely part of the logistics. Um, and then myself, 
so yes, it's been uh, the women for 2019, and and we really loved having that opportunity. Well, you've been excellent. And on that note, the opportunity fair. Now, last year, I think we had maybe 43, you can correct me if I'm wrong, 43 different employers there. And I think in the meeting, uh, it was mentioned that they literally will be employing people on site. Is that correct? Yes. So at the opportunity fair, uh, it is, we told the or the people that companies that wanted to participate, and it was like you said, almost 50 companies, they come ready to hire. That's part of the the, uh, the agreement we have with them is that this is an opportunity fair and this is for real to give real opportunities. And several people were employed or at least, you know, had interviews that day. Quite I think that the, re- the response was Tana. very positive that people walked away pretty much with jobs. From Tana, we're out of time t- for this oh. one, but we're going to have you on again because we talk about January 20, 2020. So thank you <laughs> oh, very yeah. much for your time today. We'll see you Tuesday at the meeting. Thank you. See you at the meeting. Langston okay. Hughes, 630. Uh, okay, now, thank you. <laughs> Latana Yasu, the treasurer of the Seattle King County Martin Luther King Jr. Organizing Coalition. Our next guest is Ernie Dunson, who is the president of the Seattle Breakfast Group. And I'd ask Ernie to come on to share a few words about our late friend, one of the first presidents of the Breakfast Group, Bill Hilliard, who passed away yesterday morning. So, Ernie, a sad time, but uh, you knew Bill well, and we just wanted you to take a few moments just to share your thoughts and uh, any condolences you might extend to Dorothy and the family. Right. You know, I was very sorry to hear uh, Bill's passing, but I know that he had some uh, medical issues recently. Uh, but it's always uh, tough to to uh, see one of the old guards go down. Uh, I met uh, Bill when I first came to Seattle back in 1959. We were just both both graduated from high school, and uh, Bill was uh, was pretty uh, active in the community. And I got to know him a lot better once we got uh, the uh, our um, uh, the breakfast group set up back in 1979. Uh, Bill was one of the charter members, along with uh, Herm McKinney, who was the original organizer, uh, Charles and Paul Mitchell. Uh, Eddie Rye. Uh, yeah, Eddie. Eddie, Eddie you know. <laughs> and I'm rejoining. You have my, yeah. I'm going okay. to go online and yeah. rejoin. Yeah. yeah. Hayward is, I am, too. I am, too. Yeah, and uh, Bill became, um, uh, Herm McKinney was our first president, and then Bill uh, took over and became president after Herman. Okay. And, uh, and then... Until later, uh, came back once we got the Project Mister program uh, running in the schools where we were working with uh, young at-risk African male students, African American male students, and Bill came back uh, as a uh, instructor and uh, director for for the Project Project Mister program. And uh, he's one of the was one of the best uh, instructors that we ever had in the program because he was able to reach the kids. We used to always laugh that uh, it was probably because Bill had such a loud, booming voice that when he spoke, the kids had to listen. But Bill had a lot to uh, share with the, with the students, uh, and uh, he uh, had a big heart and was able to really kind of reach out to them beyond the classroom and uh, direct them to uh, different places where they could get, get uh, services that they needed. But uh, he was a very intricate uh, part of... Uh, of uh, the Project Mr. Program that's still running today. And uh, we're now in uh, in uh, four high schools uh, in, the, in the city, and the program is still going strong. But Bill 
was one of the uh, one of the uh, real uh, sturdy backers that uh, got the program off the ground and running, and uh, he'll always be remembered for that. Well, you know, we also uh, are going to be soliciting the, uh, the Breakfast Group members' uh, help as well as yours for uh, the McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development, which yeah. was Reverend McKinney brought here as SOIC. They went to SVI. And uh, recently, Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos had legislation in the last session, House Bill 1918, that passed the House and Senate unanimously to set up the Central Area Community Preservation Development Authority, which would be known as the McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development. And mm-hmm. so I know that you guys uh, we will be talking to the Urban League about moving over, and hopefully Project Mister will come as well. And we'll also have the pre-apprenticeship program. Been talking to Pastor Ricky Willis about that, as well as some other uh, economic development, some programs and classes to uh, help uh, our businesses maintain competitiveness as well as uh, get new opportunities. Since I-200, our businesses have been devastated, and that's why you see this whole transition out of the central area. The same things happen at the hilltop, but then, but every time I go down to Angela's place in L.A. and in Baldwin Hills, that's changing too. Uh, Washington, D.C., the same way. And it all has to do with, with economics. And, uh, you know, if we just gotten 10% of uh, the average white family's net worth and uh, home ownership is going down, so uh, we got to start using uh, some of those revenues gen- being generated by these young brothers in major universities and the NBA and NFL to leverage some of that money to come back to our community. Yeah, we definitely have to do that. Without a doubt. So, uh, Ernie, uh, give, share with our listeners exactly what uh, what is uh, the Breakfast Group doing right now. What are the priorities? Uh, if there's a online a website information where people could access. Yeah, the, uh, our website is thebreakfastgroup.org, all one word. And on the website, you can see uh, our uh, signature programs that are running. We have our uh, Taiwan on event that we do uh, in April. Uh, we uh, bring about 100 kids down to the uh, Fairmont Olympic Hotel to uh, have breakfast, and we mess them up with business and professional men. And we also uh, give them a chance, give a couple of students a chance to speak to the group. Uh, then the following month in uh, May, we have our All Achievers Awards where uh, we give our scholarships to. Uh, young men who have been accepted to colleges. Uh, We give out around 20 scholarships um, uh, each year. And uh, and then we we have the uh, the Rich Family Picnic that we uh, helped uh, get back on track about 10 years ago, and that's going strong also. Uh, In in the schools, during the the school year, which started right now, we have uh, Project Mr. Classes. And these are life skills classes. We have instructors in four schools, and uh, the uh, students are selected by uh, the uh, school uh, administration and teachers to uh, come into the classes. I think uh, kids, kids, I think who can benefit mm-hmm. from the curriculum that we that we teach there. And, okay. uh, we have, we've got a lot of success with that program. Okay, uh, Ernie Dunson, president of the Breakfast Group, I want to thank you very much for your time today at the last minute to get on to talk about about our friend Bill Hilliard, and uh, I'll have to post you up on Facebook so when on Saturday morning at 8, eight to 9, they can hear you again and also be 
on my website. So thank you, Ernie. We appreciate you. Okay. Okay. Good talking to you. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with our last guest after this break. At the Port of Seattle, diversity is the source of possibility and strength. And we honor our diverse community by expanding opportunities for all people to share in our region's economic prosperity. From the seaport to the airport, we're working to support small businesses, including those owned by women and minorities, and to create quality jobs with lifelong career paths. The Port of Seattle continues to be your port of opportunity. Step up your commute and ride light. Sound Transit's new Capitol Hill and University of Washington Link Light Rail stations are now open. Get around town faster and more reliably than ever. Ride now from the University of Washington to Capitol Hill in just four minutes or continue on to Westlake Station in just eight minutes. Find lots of helpful information on how to ride, how to get an ORCA card, and more at ulink2016.org. Link Light Rail. More stations, more places. Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, we're back at the bottom of the hour with our uh, next guest, author Addie Jones. And she uh, got in touch with me. Uh, They're going to have a urban book. Uh, is it an urban book signing on yeah, Sunday? Yeah, urban book expo. Urban yeah, book that, expo. Okay. Share with our yeah, listeners what that, what's that about. And then take a minute or so and tell us about your book and your participation. Yeah, um, I'm the author of Skin Deep, uh, and I used to name Screeby, which is the nickname my father used to call me as a kid. And to me, it means ancient Egyptian scribe. And scribblingbook.com uh, is, uh, I use it for my website. Uh, the poem just sort of just, it, it highlights different skin colors. And my uh, eight-year-old grandson is doing an audiobook version of it. What it does, basically, I believe, is to um, make diversity uh, really, really easy, easy to understand and accept for all people, all colors. No child should feel less than because of their skin color. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, colorism, I believe, is still a problem in the African-American and all communities of color. What do you think about that, Eddie? Well, I'm, I'm listening to you. This is your time. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. Uh, a friend of mine told me that uh, the difference in the it's very political color is in the Dominican Republic as well as Haiti. Um, that Trujillo back in the 30s demanded that um, they call themselves indigo instead of black, and that if you were black, you were Haitian. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going on politically as well as um, socially with colorism for kids. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, in my family, we have uh, have uh, black great, I mean, white great grandfathers, and uh, who was I uh, had six kids by a great grandmother from Haiti, and in my own family, we have the Rainbow Coalition. In my own family, but then again, my um, my uh, wife's uh, grandfather was a white man, so and it all came out in Angela. So anyway, yeah, well, and my sister true. Sally. So, I mean, we have, we have, yeah. So, anyway, with this last minute, why don't you just share with us about the time and place and all that stuff, like, for Sunday? Sure. Uh, from noon to 5, please come out to NOM. That's the Northwest African American Museum, 2300 South Massachusetts. And you will find quite a few. I was surprised it was so many black authors there uh, with our books and our stories. 
we're the ones that have to tell our own story. And in all families, mine too. My grandfather was white. So, yep. so we have a range of colors. Okay, well, I tell you what, I wish you all the success. And like I said, once again, uh, we want to have you on a little longer because yeah. I know you're going to be busy uh, penning some more books. So uh, thank yeah. you very much. And uh, I'm going to try to get by and see you guys. But see, you're on from when to when now? From 2 to 6? Uh, from t- noon to uh, 5. Noon to 5. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, then. Okay. Thank you very much, Addie Jones. We look forward to seeing you at North African American Museum on Sunday from noon to 5 for the no, Urban... No, no, Saturday, Saturday. Saturday, I'm sorry, Saturday, yeah. Urban Book... Now, Bishop Witherspoon on Sunday. I'm getting y'all mixed up. Okay, <laughs> so thank you very <laughs> much. You. Saturday, uh, noon, noon to, to 5 at Northwest African American Museum. Thank you very thank much you. for your time today. Thank you, bye. Okay, so once again, Hayward, uh, we want everybody to check out whatever you do, whatever group you're with, make sure you vote for I-1000. Get apartheid out of... The, out of the country and out of the state. And also, don't forget uh, Bishop Reggie Witherspoons uh, celebrated 32 years of a service to the Lord on Sunday, October 6th. And uh, my friend, the Reverend Dr. Robert L. Manaway Sr. is the speaker. Uh, Tim Iman, I don't know if he's going to jail or not, but he's been linked uh, in kickbacks and everything else. Uh, I also want to say that uh, on Friday, tomorrow, uh, October 4th at Pacific Tower. The doors open at 5.30. This is the 2019 Seattle Chinese International District Public Development Authority annual fundraiser, and I will be there. I uh, get to my reservations right away because that's going to be our sister public development authority for the McKinney Center. And before we go, want to thank the Port of Seattle's Office of Social Responsibility, Sound Transfer Small Business Development Labor Compliance Office, the City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Office, Concourse Concessions, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, Soul Sys Media with Stephanie Ogo, and uh, Haywood, we will be back again next Thursday. Next Thursday. Thanks, Eric. <laughs>